there, welcome to Incremental's podcast channel, Podbreak the Podcast. I'm your host, Maor Sadra, CEO and co-founder of Incremental. After taking a couple of months hiatus, we're back with a new series, Exploring the Multiverse. In this series, I'll be asking crazy hypothetical questions to a whole bunch of industry thought leaders. The idea behind this podcast was to go into the most obscure scenarios that are most likely not going to happen, but if you've been to this industry for a while, you'd know that just because it might not happen, it doesn't mean it won't. In this first episode, I'm honored and excited to feature Thomas Petit. Thomas is one of the most recognized thought leaders in our industry. He is smart, he's opinionated, and fun to listen to. I know I had a pleasure talking with Thomas and hope you'll enjoy this episode. Hey Thomas, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Mao. My pleasure. So by the way, this is like the uh, second series uh, we started in Podrick the Podcast. I think you were one of the last episodes of the previous series and you're one of the first episodes of the new one. So well, hopefully people don't listen to them too sequentially and I sound like a, a repeat record. But it was, you know, it was what was really cool. So like in the previous series, you know, I had to like chase people to join it. Hey, we have this podcast and so on. This time I think, you know, I, so we had like um, a bit more than 200,000 minutes played, which I don't actually even know if it's good or bad. It sounds good, but I have no idea. Um, I think this time around, we're going to end up with a weekly episode because there is a lot of people, like everybody I sent to, hey, do you want to participate, said yes, which is, I guess, cool. That's a lot of work. Thanks for <laughs> the contribution to, to the, the community. Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy having these conversations. And uh, yeah, so before we start with like intros and so on, um, so I think I, I gave you a little bit of kind of like the concept and the theme of this one. Um, you and I have been in this industry for a while and we know that it changes a lot. And sometimes the things that people didn't even consider that could happen ends up happening. And this pretty much, this is pretty much the theme of this like podcast series. It's a what if, what if the most random things happen, which again, we're talking like, I think uh, um, in a, we're looking at it comedically, but on the other hand, we also know that everything could happen. Yeah, so I guess that's a, that's a really interesting format. Uh, I don't think any or most of these things are going to happen, but the exercise really helped, like, you know, being prepped for any kind of disruption and sometimes making, making, connecting the dots between, between things you've thought. I, I should, I don't believe anyone should prepare for any of this scenario, but it's great to prepare for all of them. Cool. So uh, let's start with the beginning. Thomas, give a little bit of an intro for the people who don't know you, which would probably be people living under a rock or people that maybe this is the first time, uh, this is the first year uh, of their life in digital marketing. Or maybe outside of the app community where uh, I can still work the street uh, quietly, nobody recognizes <laughs> me. I, 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 I wouldn't want to be a celebrity. That must be terrible on a daily basis. Uh, so hi, everyone. I'm Thomas. I'm known online as Thomas BCN. I'm an independent uh, growth consultant. I don't like to call it consultant, but it's what it is. Uh, I specialize on subscription apps. Uh, I love to say on the middle stage of, of subscription apps, but I love working from MVP and Indies to, to Unicorn, everything subscription, uh, mostly acquisition, onboarding, and monetization. Uh, very happy to be here, and uh, hopefully it's going to be a fun one. Cool. So let's kick it off with the first uh, hypothetical. Uh, Thomas, what happens if Google and Apple decide, you know what, we're going to decrease the App Store tax for everybody to 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I guess there's a sub-scenario when they don't do it at the same time. I'm going to park this for later, maybe, and start assuming that they both reduce it to 5% uh, on the same day. Um, what I think would happen for, for users, for consumers, is actually nothing at all. They wouldn't change it. And just like when, I don't know, there is a, I remember a few years ago, for example, the French state reduced VAT for a particular industry, for the hospitality industry. And everybody thought, oh, great, price are going to drop down by 10%, which they obviously didn't drop down by 10%. So I think for 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 consumers, for users, uh, that's nothing. Most of them are not even aware that Apple and Google are taking 15 or 30% anyway. Um, so that's for users. For the platform, I, I keep the meat for the end. For, for the platform, I mean, obviously, that's going to be a, a, a revenue drop. Um, I think... If they do it, they might do it only for apps, just like the way Google moved from 30 to 15%, just because uh, the big revenue driver of the store up to recently were the games, and that's where all the big ones are making the revenue from the platform. Although this is changing, as uh, we saw last year reports, like uh, known gaming is catching up on growth and is almost on par now. Um, so I guess there would be a revenue drop, but uh, I'm pretty sure they can take it. Um, on the big scheme of things, if you look at the kind of revenue they make from all the other businesses, I don't think the shareholders of Google and Apple would, would really take a big hit on that one. Quite the opposite, because investors might see the, the opportunity to actually even grow the platform in terms of sales and also build defensibility against potential concurrence. So for shareholders, might be even better than worse to make a little bit less revenue now to make more revenue tomorrow. Um, I guess the big change would be for, for developers and, and probably affecting different developers um, differently. I think the biggest impact here would be that this difference in, in, in fee, like the, the proceeds we call it, so the net revenue that the developer is cashing, uh, would be immediately reinvested mostly on acquisition, also in teams and product, but mostly in acquisition to basically grow faster. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking it would ultimately benefit the platforms, like because, and it would benefit the ad networks quite a bit because they, that's cash that basically Google and Apple are pocketed, but doesn't really hurt them much. And that cash would pass on straight up to ad networks, uh, literally. Developers would just look to grow faster. I think they would just re-inject it. Uh, that would certainly help a few clients are operating at the very borderline of profitability uh, because it gives a bit of breath and we've been under a bit of constraint lately between ATT, inflation, CPM rising, uh, channels not doing great stuff. So always, always good. But I think it would adjust pretty, pretty fast. And the biggest benefactors would be really the the bigger, like the bigger apps, because those are the ones where where we would see the big money flowing uh, flow happen. But I think it's really beneficial for indies. And actually, when, when Apple started with the small program where they reduced the, the fee for smaller developers who make less than a million a year, I thought it was a brilliant idea. And there are stats that are a bit more dynamic who would basically completely wipe down the fee to help small clients grow on the platform to the point that they are able to pay and then they pay big. I think that's a great growth strategy. The, the platforms are not doing it, but honestly, like... Lowering down the fee for the smaller developer is a cost of nothing for the platform. I remember when the fee went down from 30 to 15 for, for, for small developers, 
the, the estimated impact was like, I can't remember, but I think one or 2% for the platform. And it might not sound like it, but for small developers, it does really help kickstart the first one or two years. So even though, yeah, the biggest benefits would be the bigger apps, um, I'm, I would I would be quite happy if this was going to happen because I think it would stimulate the, the dynamism of the store and a new project and making some business models that are a bit tricky, a little bit easier to kickstart. So uh, I think that would be really awesome. And, you know, actually, like, I remember reading it was last year. Um, it was uh, some, like, a research uh, journalist basically found out that Apple was investing in UA on behalf of a couple of big names. Okay, like yes. Masterclass was there. And, like, basically companies that have a subscription uh, that is relatively costly, that basically I think like the economics essentially makes sense. Now there I'm thinking, is it that that far fetch that take Apple and take Google, eventually Google, if, if Google cuts down the, the tax and you spend more, that spend effectively goes to Google. And if you look at Apple, if effectively they were to reduce tax, if that ad spend went back to Apple search ads, Actually, that's that's very beneficial for them because that is 100% net. Yeah, fair. That's interesting. Uh, the first thing is I don't like to call it tax. I call it a platform fee. And uh, here, like, there's a lot of people who compare like the the platform fee to what, for example, Stripe is covering. But I think the service that is given is very different in terms of refund and tax, in terms of the visibility the platform gives you, in terms of uh, the reviews, the trust, the name, blah blah blah. Uh, so for me, it's not a tax and it's very different from other fee. Um, but fair, I understand people call it a tax. Uh, I think Elon Musk called it a, yeah, Elon Musk a, a was, scandal recently or something. Elon Musk was surprised to discover. So again, when you started, <laughs> when you started by saying users are not affected because users have no clue, Elon Musk apparently was a user was like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the yeah, way, that I, was a fun one. I agree with you. So I agree with you. And again, it's not a tax. Actually, there is like a lot of efforts that is put on the App Store. But I'm also asking like we're now uh, yes. what, like t 10, no, 11, 12 years into the App Stores. Mm -hmm. okay? Does it still cost them 30%? It's still like, no. it's, so again, couldn't no. they, maybe not 5%, you yes. know, we are, couldn't they and reduce it tomorrow to 10% across the board? So they, they could, and I'd go, I'd go further. I think they should, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, I, I want to take back the last question because I started with this tax slash fee compensation, but there was still a, a very a very interesting question that you asked that that uh, uh, that I didn't answer. So yeah, the, the question was very interesting because I, I, as we struggle to make it on the 70% proceeds or the 85% proceeds in some case, I don't see how Apple promoting those apps in the short term can be uh, profitable in a in a direct way, in a way that Apple promoting an app thinking they would get the return from the fee. Uh, I see the unique economic very, very tricky, despite their Apple and people might click more and so on. But it's clear that at this stage of, of development of companies, they're not doing it for direct returns. It's more of a of a of a long gameplay and they're helping those brands and I don't know, maybe they were testing stuff. I even have a fun case where they were doing that with an app that was mostly not paying the fee by deriving their user off the platform. So that was kind of a very funny one uh, where I guarantee the return was not there. So I don't think they're doing it for the return. I don't think they're doing it at a massive scale. 
But it is interesting to think that maybe their marketers are better and manage to make uh, profitability from third percent where we're failing on the seventy percent. That would be a that would be an interesting case. That's why I wanted to get back on this question. Cool. And what do you think would be a catalyst like towards this that, move if it would to happen? Yeah. So. <clears throat> Well, the first catalyst is, is one platform is doing it. It's very likely the other one is going to be doing it, just like they do for pretty much everything, uh, whether it's the, the advertising ID, whether it's the 50% fee for small business. I'm actually surprised that Apple has not followed yet on the non-gaming fee, 15% for everybody, because the 15 slash 30 first year and then minus million is kind of complicated and Google is saying, okay, it's 15 for everybody. But their subscriptions are so big, I understand how for Apple it's kind of a tricky bit to do it now, but uh, uh, usually they follow each other. And probably the catalyst is not going to be one of the two is moving first here, but I'd rather see external externalities like maybe one of the cases we heard before, like the Hey.com case or the Epic case or uh, now the Twitter case becomes so big that it's hard to keep the stance. Or maybe somebody like Stripe does a massive campaign around it and they're pushed to do it from the media. But I think it's rather going to come from an aftermath of regulation. So there was this, this um, so recently the EU voted inside the Digital Market Act that basically Apple has uh, to enable sideloading. So downloading apps from a third party store, which is actually half possible on Android, but barely ever happens even though you have the Huawei store and Amazon store and Xiaomi store and the 300 Chinese store. That doesn't happen a lot in the Western world uh, in general. But that could be a catalyst to say, oh, okay, we're not going to let potential uh, competition grow up. We're going to just slash down the fee so that uh, developers are not even tempted to go see elsewhere. So that's definitely the most likely catalyst um, I'm seeing here. Like basically a regulation changing third party store, which pushed them to say, okay, let's, let's lower down the fee. So we make sure that developers stay with us. Do you think they could also do it as a kind of like a progressive tax bracket? So I know a lot of small developers, by the way, that the 15% for the first million is, is amazing for them. It's basically yeah. like versus what it used to be. It's like a free 150K net. Yeah, but this that's is where like I'm for, going for startup companies. I've... That's huge. This is why I was like, 5% would be amazing. And even 0% would be amazing because it costs the platform so little. And I'm, I'm only for progressive tax myself. I hate flat taxes. I think it, it doesn't, it doesn't do justice to, to like citizens for, for when it's personal tax. But, uh, I think for businesses here, it's in the interest of the platform to like, to promote new apps, to come and, and, and become big. And when you're big, you can afford to pay it a, a, a bit more, uh, I, it would make the system a bit more complicated because then you pass brackets and so on. And actually the, the, the Apple system between 15 and 30% is kind of really bad. Um, uh, it's terrible when you pass the, the threshold because then you start losing money because they didn't make it like the tax income where you pay by brackets, but it's like all 15 or all 30. Yeah. So when you pass a million, suddenly you earn less money as a developer, which is kind of a very bizarre situation that you're making more revenue, but that's less profit just because the fee has changed. I think that's terrible. I would love to have brackets, especially for the zero person bracket. And I do believe apps that are making less than, I don't know, let's say 100K a year uh, should pay zero uh, because it's in the platform interest to help them basically 
not grow, but even exist, like even pop up, you know, appear. Do you think when it comes to, by the way, competition, so if you look at subscription apps, take, uh, I don't know, anything from like streaming to meditation to education to whatever, do you think some companies would leverage a lower fee to basically roll the credit down to the users to compete with one another? Or do you think that doesn't really matter? I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen for anyone. Zero. Nada. Okay. Nobody is going to give the user the, the, uh, that difference. It can happen at times as a marketing stunt, maybe maybe in the very beginning, like in Spain, there is this very big retailer that has the no VAT day, which obviously they have to pay VAT on everything. It's just yeah, a way to frame it. the discount yeah. and stuff. So we might see this, but that I think that's going to be very marginal. And uh, no, we're not going to see any, any money given back, especially at this time uh, where we're seeing prices go up in general in society, but inflation in... in in prices in of IAP of in-app purchases uh, has been has been really really strong uh, even before inflation went up last year for for the rest of the world and uh, I do not maybe it would slow down the inflation for six time, six months best case scenario but price going down no that's it. we're not gonna see that okay last question about this topic before we move to the next hypothetical what's the likelihood of this happening zero to hundred percent. So the initial question was 5%. I think the likelihood of this is extremely, extremely low. I'd say 1%, like very, very low. But the likelihood of the fee going down to 10 or 15 in this range, which is what other platforms that are not apps are charging. Like there's a bunch of platforms, like, I don't know, uh, the Microsoft Game Store, I think is 15 or 12. I was comparing all the fees. The likelihood of going down to 10 or 15 in this bracket I think it's pretty big. What I don't know is the timeline. I don't think it might not happen in the next six months or something. But by 2024-25, I would give a 80% chance of the fee going down to 15%. By the uh, way, that's but... pretty bold as a prediction. Eh? So kind of related to the next question about the timeline. So, you know, like when I started Incremental, I used to pitch to investors. Maybe sometimes in the future, Apple will make this change where they will essentially ban the use of IDFA. They will, again, for me, it was the writing was on the wall. Um, I knew it will happen. Chances are very high. Timeline, I expected years. And then it happened. Now, yeah. this is kind of like the next hypothetical, which is quite out there. Uh, Thomas, what do you think would happen if Apple goes back on their decision okay, with ATT? And doesn't just go back on the decision, goes wild and says, you know what, from now on, you can use Face ID for tracking and attribution. In this case, just to be sure, the, the Face ID would have a number similar to the IDFA? Or... Yeah, we're talking about like yeah, okay. really identifying the user, eyeballs, face, yeah. biometric attribution. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh... I get the very first one is that the likelihood of this to happen is like <laughs> the likelihood is quite low. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> I would never say zero, but yeah, very, not very zero. But like, uh, I, I'm not seeing it. Like, uh, I could see what like, Google could implement something like that and still <laughs> sell it as as privacy respecting because they are the one who basically hash your face here in the in the process. So I I, I could see Google doing it. Not not impossible. Uh, Apple, I'm not seeing it, but let, let's let's assume it does. Let's assume it does. Um, so first question around this is like always kind of like, um, who would be the most affected by this? 
Why in this case, there would be a bunch of people affected positively <laughs> rather than negatively. I guess the negative impact is that the, the, the low likelihood and slash, I want to say negative impact, but I know not everybody's going to take it this way, is on is on the march toward privacy and the fact that, that the world is not going into that direction at, at a number of levels. Um, so I'd say negative impact maybe for privacy concerned users, which is probably a minority of users anyway, uh, and positive impact for a lot of people. Uh, I think positive impact for the MMBs, positive impact for the MMBs would be a big one, even though we, we do need them post IDFA for a bunch of things. That, that would give them like a very central role in, in helping this. Although Apple could also provide it differently, but would still need the MAPs to do it. Uh, big impact for a bunch of, of ad networks that have struggled to, and by ad networks, I mean both uh, DSPs, uh, SDK network, and also like the big platforms. So uh, TikTok, Facebook, Google, Snap, everybody. Um, Beneficial because a lot of them have taken a, a huge hit. Like we're seeing more and more reports saying, okay, the first year Facebook lost uh, 10 billions and and that company because of ATT and so on. And I, and I think the networks would benefit a lot from it. Um, so yeah, in terms of, of developers, I think the benefit here is only for those who are most reliant on, on personal IDs, which are those who do a lot of remarketing. So that could be, e-commerce that could be uh, uh, like other cases where remarketing is big or uh, that could be where you're really in a niche audience that is extremely valuable. So I'm thinking about social casino here in particular, where because you're whale hunting, like the value of IDFA is higher than for the rest of people. And that would really change the, the game for, for this kind of, of specific businesses. But for most developers, I think what it the, the positive impact would be on marketers to have a simpler life. Uh, of going back to, okay, there is that, that truth and I just follow it blindly without asking questions. Thing is, now that we've got a glimpse at how it really is without personal IDs, we realize also that last touch personalizes are not, were never perfect before, that the it's an easier world, but it doesn't mean it's the truth. And now that we know that it's not the truth, that would be an interesting uh, fact of who goes back in the comfort zone and use them 100%. And who uses them but still ask hard questions about, yeah, the search channel is really, really close to the conversion. Is it really participating as much as the ID is telling and so on? You know, you know, uh, it's, you yeah. it's funny. It's like, so before I started Incremental, okay, I can show you pitch decks of the other company I wanted to start. You, you'll, you'll laugh. I wanted to start not just a multi-touch attribution solution. Yeah. I wanted to know everything about the user. It means I wanted to know the user's touch points, location, proximity to other devices. So really like to build kind of a graph that tells me you, Thomas, have other friends that have a certain headphones and you've seen ads for these headphones on here, here, and you've clicked here and you've tried it in a store and eventually you bought the, the headphones and then really like build back a model that can score every single touch point. That was my vision. I have pitch decks that I even like started showing. Very glad I didn't go there. <laughs> that, would, that would not yeah, have but... been a very successful like uh, company right now. There's a demand for this from the side of marketers, just what not the, the direction of history you were. You were like 
because you did it earlier and then it's not where it's going now. Uh, but it makes, it wouldn't have gone great, I guess, but uh, it makes me think that the first question was on me about the fee, but I should have been asking the second question on you about this <laughs> this face ID thing, because I guess doing this, this, this pitch and thinking about companies, you gave a lot of thought about what if you had like this absolute perfect touch point everywhere, which personally I believe is a unicorn as a complete chimera. Like even if the IDs were like personal IDs, advertising IDs were completely free to use at will and available to everybody, like a network share them, like a, I don't think it would be that easy either. Like building multi-touch attribution is extremely complex, even in the presence of, of fantastic data. You know, actually, one of the one of the guests in the series um, like suggested the question for his interview, and we're doing it in a couple of weeks. And it's basically kind of like describe the ideal, like the absolute ideal perfect attribution model. And you know what? I think you laugh, but you posted this today in, a, in one of the communities um, survey. The perfect attribution is Thomas. Why did you buy these headphones? If you could really, yeah, I don't tell think so. Me, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But if I you don't think could really, if, if a user could really tell you why, yeah, look, no, like, that doesn't that would work. Be perfect. That would be the perfect. Like again, I'm playing. I'm playing this game recently. Uh, what is it? Um, it is Merge Mayor. I'm. 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 I mean, yeah. Merge games. Anyway, I can tell you exactly why I downloaded this game. It's beyond Fair, the fact. But that, if like, I'm the developer, you're not gonna necessarily tell me that. But I'm saying. In an ideal world, you would just know because, or you would be able to read minds and not just minds, history yeah. and uh, internet search history of a user. That that sounds more ideal because we're, we're human. We do and and say things that do not necessarily fully overlap. You know, and it's hard. The wording, everybody thinks different. I I shared an example of one of those. How, how did you hear about a screen like uh, with, with somebody might might get published sooner, but. And among the answer, one was, I searched the app store, and the other one was, I hear about it by a friend. But if you hear about it from a friend, you necessarily search in the app store to get it. Like, so what do I answer? And how do this answer go? Like, there's a lot of overlapping things. There were, for example, when I was running quite a lot of ads on Tabula and Outbrain, and we had a, how did you hear about a screen? Obviously, people were clicking on, oh, I read a, an article about it, which was not an article there, but uh, okay. <laughs> but I'm saying if a user could really tell you the story, but the point yes. is that honestly, like, would you want, so going back to the question of privacy users and so on, yeah. would you want any company like having access to all of your internet history, including search, just to measure why did you download this app? I guess if, if it was like this, I mean, in the f nobody would care about like I mean, as marketers we love user level data because of the convenience of it and the easiness of it but sometimes people are like oh yeah i don't want this information to be shared with marketers i'm like yeah but i don't give a, uh, i don't give a damn about peter jane or 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 norman what i want to know is the the the, uh, the total of of why they bought you know like as marketers we're not interested in individuals we're interested about how powerful using individual data allows us to do things and how the platform are extremely good at it. And of course, it comes with a huge danger of on, on, on many levels. Uh, but as marketers, like, I really don't care who you are. And I guess if we were to go back to that kind of ideas, and again, we won't, uh, 
there would be slight mechanism in place of basically a pure anonymization where there is this profile and we have perfect knowledge of this profile. We know the kind of porn he likes to what he bought yesterday to what's in his Amazon card, but we wouldn't know that his name is John Doe. Like, and we would basically the only manner it would happen is if we could block the thing is de-anonymization techniques are extremely powerful so that's a big if uh, at the step okay let's go for the last uh, what if uh, question oh. what if apple or actually no it's not what if apple it's what if attribution sdks get banned from the app store what if attribution sdk gets banned from the app store um from the app stores plural, or I'm already post Google advertising in this scenario, I guess. And, yeah, um, let's go for app stores for the simplicity yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, I guess less than people think is my answer. So of course the consented cohorts are still useful and most, most developers are asking for ATT. Do you want to be tracked? Blah, blah, blah for a reason, because it helps, uh, it helps build remarketing list and lookalikes and it helps measuring cohorts and so on. I would just learn to live without them. Like, so there's a bunch of aspects that I'm saying a big nothing burger would happen, which is one, uh, we've learned to live partially with, without them and we would learn to live entirely without them. Uh, two, I don't want to be too specific, but there are ways to still operate an MMP today without having the SDK installed. Um, do not ask. Uh, but there are ways you do not need the SDK to actually perform all of what you can do with the SDK. Um, and probably that would be the workaround um, temporarily because there are also ways to block the workaround and it would be a cat and mouse game like in a lot of, of, of places. Um, yeah, so those are two, but there's a lot of, of things you can do legally without the SDK. For example, today, a, a big role of the MMP are actually educating about what's happening, about helping you uh, find the better schema, about helping you exchange the schema with the platform. You don't need an SDK for any of this. Like, uh, you don't need an SDK. What I'm curious about it is what would happen to the product analytics and the SDK rather than the MMPs, because that would be like, oh, what do we do without product analytics and SDK? Do people need to build them logs again? Do, we have, do I have to have a small team of four engineers building uh, a, a, a version of amplitude or mixed panel that is absolutely awful. So that, for me, that would be a much bigger problem because I think a lot of the role of the MMP is, is not related to the SDK. And obviously in some margins, it would it would affect like uh, remarketing networks and what's happening on Android and, and other things. But I don't think it would be business critical for as many people as we believe. And I think we would transition through that store probably taking another six, 12 months of, of being slapped in the face, but we would still get out of it. By the way, you know, people would think that maybe I'm asking this question out of like a desire that this would happen. But to be fair, actually, I think that the, like what the MMP is built is some kind of a analytics commodity that like the alternative would be to have resources building these things for like every company. And that would have been Which is a, a terrible idea. Exactly. A pain and to the point where I think the entire community would suffer it means that yeah. like today, you know, if you are, let's say, a user acquisition manager moving from one company to another, it doesn't matter if they're using the same MMP you are using or a different one. You kind of know how to operate it. You know, it's kind of yeah, like, but it, 
it's true for Tableau and Looker. It's true exactly, for exactly. Analytics Just, panel. You get used to it. You want the. It's, your... it's, it's almost the same question. You know, if let's say if uh, tomorrow, I don't know, Salesforce goes bankrupt, closes the door, shuts down the service, you will have a lot of companies suffering because they would need to either switch, which is a pain, or develop something internal, which is usually a bigger pain. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. May let me think of something uh, indirectly related, which is back, back in the early days uh, of the subscription businesses. So we go back like at least seven, eight years here. Um, there was a lot of the current tools that didn't exist. Like uh, one example would be the subscription data management, like a uh, revenue card, purchase leak, or version, and so on. That just didn't exist, so we had to build it. Like, and eventually we we got to the point where. Uh, in the buy or build decision, we're always going to build. And we end up with a completely weird structure of company where we were building everything that was not our core business. So we'd have a, a massive team of engineering at data building all these internal tools for us. Um, and honestly, the point was never, is it cost beneficial or not? It was a cultural thing. And interestingly, the attribution like at the MAP is the one we never wanted to build internally uh, just because Technically, it wasn't possible because Facebook wouldn't let us. So that's one point. But also because it was a real, real, real pain. The other one was product analytics. So on Platoon Mixed Banner and so on, we buy. But everything else we built. And you know what? In 99% of the case, that was a wrong decision. Like, I'm not saying everybody should buy tools. But in this particular experience, building our own RevenueCAD, building our own we had like something for social feeds. We had like, like, it was insane. We had so many, so many different, like most of the CRM was custom built instead of buying something like Braze or Clevertap or something. All of it was custom made. And the cost of maintenance was just like insane. The cost of importing new people was absolutely nuts. Like, uh, it was, it was very bizarre, but honestly. So we did it because we had to. We also did it because of the culture. But uh, now, now I think very differently about this problem to be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of companies look at this uh, similarly now. Like, we don't run into many, like, oh, you know what, we're going to try to build something similar in-house. We're like, okay, good luck. But a lot of the SaaS offering has improved massively as well. Like, it's more common to sell it, like uh, in the internal politics, but also the service you get is 10 x better than what we had five or 10 years ago. Like, I mean, uh, there's a lot of SaaS companies who did good, but also because they, they provide really amazing service compared to doing it yourself when your business is elsewhere, sometimes just doesn't make any sense. I think what definitely what benefited the most the like attribution solution was again, if you look at 10 years ago, I think you had a lot of ad networks that had attribution like Fixu and Inmobi and Tapjoy and like a lot of networks. And I think what uh, was Facebook's pretty much like decision to make this like MMP program uh, calling for third party unbiased attribution solution, even though Facebook was self-attributing network, uh, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but in a way it canceled out proprietary and ad network owned attribution solutions in favor of the MMPs. I do believe it happened this way. Like, the, the, like how Facebook designed it played a major role in how history eventually developed. and. I think for the better, and if I look at, at it back, like for the better for Facebook, because they didn't want everybody to tap into what the API they provided uh, gave. Like a couple of times we asked for a higher level of API and so on. And there was like some serious privacy related concern back then, but also the API were a lot more open. And for Facebook, it was a lot better to deal with like 
selected partners uh, that they know what they're doing, that they can pursue something is going wrong. And also to already talk with like, I used to call them the seven sisters, but the number was moving a little bit. Like with just like five, six, seven, eight partners rather than talking with everybody and supporting the thing. I think it was just better for Facebook. It was be just better for the data flow. And Facebook was so powerful that everybody had to follow. But it was it was beneficial in another in another way, which is it made marketers like easier to have it this way. And also, honestly, relying on a non-network to be your attributing your attribution no, provider no, that no. just doesn't <laughs> no. feel right. That just doesn't feel right back then with the ad network, and it still doesn't feel right now. Like I mean, whenever a platform self-report conversion. I take it as an input because they might have very advanced models that are interesting to look at, but I certainly never take it for granted. Like, because they have a vested interest in, first, they have a vested interest in all the selling, but the second is there's a lot of things they do not see that you do see of what, what other activities you're doing and running TVs and whatnot like that. And so, yeah, uh, I don't know. A that seller doing the referee, uh, I've never seen it. In the past, and I'm still not seeing it. So the platform are taking this role now, which I think is is not bad. But at the same time, when the platform is also selling ads, it starts raising a whole lot of questions. Well, we we see it, of course, with Apple search ads not really using SK Ad Network postbacks, but this other thing, other framework, which surprisingly enough causes them to attribute more than anybody else. It's like. Yeah, the the, the funny part about ad uh, ad uh, services is that it reports less than they reported the UI. <laughs> like the difference between what Apple reported their UI and what the API is claiming is actually there's a huge gap, which is a funny uh, fun fact about about this edge of attribution. So last question about the, the, again, the hypothetical of like attribution SDKs getting banned. Mm -hmm. Here I'm going to split it. Um, so what's the likelihood of this happening on the Google App Store? Zero to 100. Uh, not so low. In the short term, very low because takes time, see how it happens on the Apple side and all. Fairly low because it's not how Google sees it and they're happy with what's happening and so on, but not so low because it's actually in the platform interest to get yeah, them back. Cool. And yeah. so on the very long term, I can see it actually quite likely. So it's kind of a progressive rate of how likely is it happen to happen this year? 5%. How likely is it to happen within five plus year, I'd say 90%. Then where do you put the cursor on this timeline is a very, very tricky fact. Uh, I, I guess we're aiming at yeah, 2024, five, I'd say 2025. You know what, I'm gonna actually, during this series, I'm gonna interview three MMPs, okay? Yeah, I'm gonna cool. ask them different questions, but I'm yeah, gonna sure. surprise them all with a question. How likely is it for Apple to acquire an MMP yep. and yep. make it essentially the uh, MMP of choice, free, available for all developers? Oh, my answer is they should, but they won't. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, actually, I think, I, I don't think it's just that they should. I think that they are looking into this. Uh, maybe. Uh, and even if they don't acquire the tech, at least acquire higher the, the, the knowledge, the accumulated knowledge of, of people inside, you know, that, that would be fantastic. But uh they have a very particular perspective on attribution. So I, I can see how this is not an easy one. The, the person who might be in charge of running this investigation is is probably going to run into some, some serious conflicts internally. 
Last question, Thomas, is for you. Okay. Oh. What I'm if, scared now. What if you went back in time and never got into digital marketing? What would you be doing right now? Well, when I think, <laughs> what, when I think, a story might have happened, or what I wish, you know, because those are two very different things. Like, oh, I, I wish I... there is there is a there is a multiverse version of you that yeah. never never did anything about with like marketing. Yeah, what yeah, there's something I wish, but I don't think would would happen because I just lack the the talent and the skill. But I, I love to be either a, a, a very very good garden designer, like architect, gardening architect, like a landscape landscape architect. Yeah, landscape uh, landscape architect. I would I would love that, but I don't think I don't I, I don't know nothing about it. I, maybe I should try and uh, my bro- maybe by the way, I would. That's, that's what my brother actually does. Really, I am. He has a company. He does hotels and parks and whatever. Cool. Yeah, I love seeing some result. I also know someone who does this, even though I've never investigated. So that would be fun. Uh, the other one would be a chef, but uh, I really don't have the skill. <laughs> Probably enough on a, of an asshole, but uh, I don't have the skill. Uh, yeah, it's you, have the ac- you have the accent. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah, there are, there are more foreign chefs now, but uh, yeah, that would... I don't think I have what it takes. Like it's really hard job, and I just don't have the you know the talent for it. But then, so that's more like wishful thinking. Um, I guess it would still be related to digital, so that would not be marketing, but I would still uh, be in digital because I, I kind of discovered very early on that things that were digital, I had the natural affinity towards it, even way years before I studied marketing, like in my early teenage years. So I could. It could be, maybe I would be a PN and maybe I would be designing games or, but I guess that's the most likely that I would have done something else in, in the digital industry. Um, well, the yeah. good news is there is, a, the, again, there is a Thomas version that does all of these things somewhere. <laughs> in parallel in the future? Or? Parallel, yeah, yeah. We're talking multiverse here, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Cool. So Thomas, thank you very much. I hope it was fun for you. This was again the first, the first episode of this uh, series. Yeah, that was very fun, and I'm really looking forward to the other episodes to see what kind of crazy questions you come with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's gonna be some wild ones. Fantastic. That's what we want. Thanks, Mark. Cool. So have a great evening.